Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 5FM, Yucaipa. MySellMakeOffer.com is our New Year's gift to you. Circle this date, Friday, January 15th. You're invited to start the new year off right with a subscription to BuySellMakeOffer.com. Some other selling sites can be sketchy, and even others will charge you a fee on every item you list. But with BuySellMakeOffer.com, you can sell your washer, dryer, cars, or even your home with no per-item fees. And you can use Skype, make a video, you can actually see the person you're buying from, or they can see you, all to better sell your product. Wouldn't you like a feeling of security when you buy or sell? That's why we call it BuySellMakeOffer.com. And you don't have to wait until January 15th to find out what the buzz is all about. Go right now to BuySellMakeOffer.com and type in your email address so you'll know exactly when the fun will begin. The first 30 days are on us. And then it's as little as $7.95 per month to sell up to 50 items. Join the revolution in online selling with BuySellMakeOffer.com. Even the word greed is not negative enough to characterize the all-out assault on workers by today's corporate elite. From offshoring jobs to busting unions, from slashing wages to looting pensions, corporate takeaways from America's used-to-be middle-class workforce certainly are driven by the avarice of top executives and wealthy investors. Plainly put, the more they can take from workers, the more they can put in their own pockets, or most likely in their offshore bank accounts. It adds up to a massive redistribution of wealth from the many to the few. In addition to greedy, though, these people are rank thieves. As Woody Guthrie succinctly put it, some will rob you with a six-gun, some with a fountain pen. We're now in a rapacious fountain pen economy. Since the Wall Street crash of 2008, itself a product of grand theft by financial elites, the productivity and creativity of all Americans have regenerated every bit of the wealth that was frittered away by bankers, and we created trillions of dollars in new income. What a phenomenal national achievement that is, produced in an astonishingly short time by the shared effort of our people. But strenuous effort is all we shared. The richest 1% of Americans have grabbed 91% of the gains in income and the even richer one-tenth of one percent sucked up 22 percent of the new wealth. Thus, the vast majority of us have still not recovered the wealth we lost, homes, cars, savings, etc., and 99 percent of us are getting less income today than we were before Wall Street crashed our economy seven years ago. This is Jim Hightower saying, it's time we Robbies started talking plainly about what's going on. 
The rich are not getting richer because they're more enterprising than everyone else, harder working, or of stronger moral character. They're thieves, and they're getting richer by stealing from you. Needs friends or Facebook when you have KCAA's Brant Line. You can get it all out at 909-353-1050 with no interruptions. Do you want to tell us how much you're learning from Dave Ramsey? Keep your expenses down when you're a student. Maybe you stink. You can't take a shower at your place and you really need to. Work it down there at the uh, largest online retailer in the United States and they have him loading them trucks. I'm sure it's a shower. Perhaps you're having money issues. Motel 6, the decker rates up, it used to be like 42 bucks. Now they're up to 59. Got about four grand in the bank, but uh, working part time, I, I don't want to whittle into that. Might need a letter. Whatever you need to get off your chest, we are here for you. Give us a call on the rant line at 909 353 1050 and rant. We'll listen, we won't interrupt, and we may even play your rant on this station that leaves no listener behind. KCAA 1050 AM. KCAA 1050 AM and 106.5 FM are pleased to announce the brand new edition of The Stephanie Miller Show. Right here weekdays, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. Ladies and gentlemen, it's The Stephanie Miller Show. Join Stephanie every weekday for her fun humor and snappy wit. The perfect antidote to cantankerous, grumpy old conservatives. Stephanie Miller makes weekdays fun at 4 p.m. Right here on KCAA, 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. Bob Vila here with my home improvement tip of the day. Winter's on the way, and that means homeowners are once again resuming their seasonal quest to get the most heat for the least money. If you have a fireplace that's inefficient, you might want to consider installing a fireplace insert. Most inserts are considerably more efficient than the fireplaces they replace. The best way to vent an insert is into a stainless steel liner that extends through the existing flue, from the top of the stove to the top of the chimney. That setup provides the highest efficiency, plus it's easy to inspect and clean. Though you can also vent the stove insert into the existing chimney, it's a bit trickier. That's because the proportions of the existing chimney may not match up with the size of the insert. If that's the case, the chimney won't draft properly, and besides getting smoke in your eyes every time you open the stove, you'll also get a rapid buildup of flammable, acid-laden creosote in the chimney. Get more info at BobVila.com and right here at home with me, Bob Vila. It gets real. It's live. It's really live, local, and in motion. Every day on KCAA, the Inland Empire's only live local motion talk. KCAA 1050 AM and KCAARadio.com. From the realms of astronomy, space, aviation, weather, this is the Dr. Sky Report. I'm Dr. Sky with the Dr. Sky Minute from the realm of astronomy. An update on exoplanets. With enough confusion going on in our own solar system when it comes to what is a planet, we now look at an update on planets that we now know exist around other stars. At present, we know of some 212 planets that have been identified around other star systems. Back in 1995, astronomers confirmed they had discovered the first exoplanet around the star system we call 51 Pegasi. Today, lots of research is being conducted to help identify these amazing objects in other solar systems. 
For the latest information on this, please visit us at drsky.com. But above all, always remember to keep your eyes to the skies. KCAA, where every day is a great day. KCAA, Loma Linda. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. If you have a Bible with you today, uh, please turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Today I want to invite you to travel with me to a place far away in both time and distance. But before we do, I want us to read this verse. It's in Luke 2, verse 15. And it says, And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. First, we must travel halfway around the globe to the city which for thousands of years has been considered the center of the world, the capital city of Judaism and the Christian faith. It is the city of Jerusalem. From there, we will travel the short distance of six miles south to the nondescript little town of Bethlehem, the sheep there in the fields on the hillside around Bethlehem. If you visited it today, you would not find what you expect. They build churches on everything over there, build buildings and churches. And this church was built during the Byzantine Empire. It is the church of the nativity. The next picture shows the entrance, and I think it's a very interesting entrance because in order to get in, you have to stoop down. Stoop down, and you go in, then inside of the church. Gone is the simplicity of the manger and the purity of innocence. It's all replaced by the ornate symbols of a religion devoid of power. All of those chandeliers and all of those little hanging oil lamps and incense burning lamps, all of that is, is gold. It's very, it's very ornate. This is not Christianity. It is a commercialization of religious traditions. They're interested in tourism. And so everything is geared towards the tourist, towards you coming to that place and bringing your money with you. The place you would see today is not the place described in the Bible. One more picture. That's where they say Jesus was born. They say that he was born on the spot where the star, I don't know if it's silver or gold, the star in the floor, that that is where Jesus was born. And during this time of the year, I even saw some photographs with a doll in a manger sitting in that position. What would you have seen in that day? Well, it would have been something more like a cattle stall in an old barn or, as some believe, in a cave. At any rate, it's the place... Now listen... It's the place where God chose to introduce Himself to man. And when He came to that place, it was filled with power. It was filled with power, whatever it was. A barn, a stall, a cave, a stable, it doesn't matter. Sadly enough, 
I believe that even we who call ourselves Christians sometimes get caught up into the same kind of situation. We get caught up in, into, the, into the matter of shopping at the right store buying the right name brands. We get caught up in, in uh, figuring out how much money we're going to spend and getting the, exactly the right gift to the point that oftentimes we go through the whole season and we forget who it's all about. We forget who is the center of the Christmas season. And how can we do that if we use the word Christmas? It's about Christ. The first part of the word, he is the Christ. Maybe we've seen the manger so many times that it's lost its beauty and its simplicity, its meaning, and its power. Well, today I want to invite you to join me in a visit to the manger. Maybe we ought to call it the manger revisited because I know that all of you who are here today have visited the manger many times, year after year, Christmas after Christmas. After the angels had announced the birth of the Christ child to the shepherds, they said, and listen to this, please. I know we've read it already, but let me read it again. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. So first, let us travel along with the shepherds. They, they were so awestruck by what they had seen and by what they had heard that they could not restrain themselves from going to see in person. They had heard about it. They, they, they knew that something special had happened. I'm not sure they fully comprehended, not sure they fully understood, but they wanted to go and find out for themselves. And what they saw and heard in the sky above their heads paled in comparison to what they found whenever they arrived at the manger. When they saw him, they were immersed in his transforming power. I would have loved, I would have loved to have been there. I've said this in the past. I would have loved to have been there the night that the angels appeared to them and just to see what they went through. I know they just, they just literally fell out. You know, they just fell to the ground in the presence of those angels. But I think that when they arrived at the manger, it was more powerful than that. It was more powerful than that. They came to see a little tiny baby in a manger, but what they experienced there was greater than anything they had ever experienced before. When they saw Him, they were immersed into His transforming power. They were overcome with excitement, but all of that excitement and enthusiasm, you ever, you ever watch a little kid that gets so excited and yet he knows he's supposed to be quiet? I think that's the way they felt because there was such a reverence. They, they understood that there was something special which had happened here. I mean, after all, the angels did come and tell them about it. And folks, at that moment, they were forever changed. I think it'd be hard to say whether they ever went back to the sheep. I, I don't, I don't know if they ever went. I, I kind of wish I knew. Did they ever go back to the sheep? Well, the scripture tells us in verses 16 and 17, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Maybe they just turned into itinerant preachers from that point forward. They were called into the ministry and they went forth to share what they had heard. Folks, just one solemn look of faith at Jesus in the manger changed them forever. <laughs> 
they were, I assure you, they were never the same again. Now let's go along with Simeon, who was an aged but devout Jewish man who had been promised of the Lord that he would not die until after the Messiah had appeared. You know, Simeon is one of those guys that we don't, we don't think about a lot. We don't read about a lot. Maybe some of you think, huh, I never heard of him before. That's all right. We're going to hear about him today. The scripture says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same uh, man was just and devout. Now listen, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He knew the, uh, he knew of the prophecies. He knew there was the prophecy that Messiah would come, the, the deliverer would come. And he was instructed and encouraged by the Lord as a believer. He was encouraged and instructed by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, that he would live to see the first coming of Christ, the advent of Christ. On the day of Jesus' circumcision at the age of eight days, Simeon was led by the Spirit to the temple where he saw the Christ child, where he saw the Christ child. Now I realize this is not in the manger, but it's he's, he's the Christ child. He saw the Christ child. And as soon as he saw him, he knew that he was the promised Messiah. Luke 2, 28-32 says, Then took he up into his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, <laughs> it's time. He said, Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people in light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Did you know that he had he had a, an understanding that was beyond what most of the religious leaders of that day understood? And that was that this, this Messiah was not coming just to the Jews, but he said, a light to lighten the Gentiles. Folks, nobody had to tell Simeon who he was. His faith allowed him to see the truth. And his faith coupled with the power of an eight-day-old Savior. Get that picture. His faith coupled with the power of an eight-day-old Savior transformed his life forever. Probably wasn't much longer, but you know what? I believe with all of my heart that he was declaring the coming of Messiah long before he ever met him on that day. Next, we follow Anna the aged and widowed prophetess who was also there that day. She was there on the same day. The Scripture says she departed not from the temple. She, didn't, she never did leave the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. But when she saw Jesus, she gave thanks to the Lord, and, and she was empowered at that point to proclaim His arrival. Now, she was a prophetess. She was... She was prophesying the future prior to that time, but there was no need to prophesy the future any longer because she knew, she saw, she understood that here was the one of whom she had prophesied. In Luke 2.38 it says, And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of Him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. 
She, she talked to everybody she could find in Jerusalem and she told them about the Messiah who had come. All of those who were interested in the Messiah, in, in the arrival of the Christ. And she spoke of Him to everyone with whom she could come in contact. Again, we see that when a person looks at the one born in a manger through eyes of faith, they are forever changed. Then there are the wise men. Certainly they came along a little later. They, they didn't arrive at the manger. They, they weren't there to see him in the manger. But according to the scripture, when they entered the house, wherever they had, the area where they had moved, and they saw the young child, they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. Not only in honor and reverence, but with gifts. They had, that they had brought with them for the king. These alien Gentile noblemen, they believed the prophecies that they had heard. They, they, they were interested in what they could read and what they could understand. And they had heard these, they had heard these prophecies long before and they were interested in those prophecies. And so they inquired when they arrived in Jerusalem, they inquired, where is he born king of the Jews? And when they found him, they bowed themselves before him, not just the king of the Jews, but literally the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They didn't know that at the time. But they were allowed to believe. They were allowed to come to the place where he was. And, and when they saw him, there was power in that place. And the result was that these, these noblemen literally fell down before the Christ child, maybe two years old by then. They fell down before the Christ child and they worshipped him. They reverenced him and they gave him gifts. They came to that place as students of prophecy. They came to that place as believers in prophecy, but they left as believers in Christ. And they went to their place to tell what they had seen and what they had heard. But I believe that maybe the ones who were most affected by the birth of Jesus Christ were his earthly parents. They didn't know ahead of time that an angel choir would announce his birth to the shepherds and that they would have immediate visitors, the shepherds coming to the manger. They didn't know that God had already prepared the heart of a man named Simeon who was a devout Jew to declare his true identity. I mean, that was early on, uh, that was early on in his life that he came to declare the identity of the Christ child. They didn't know that a widow named Anna would recognize who he was and, and immediately upon seeing him go forth into the city and to tell everyone that he had come, that redemption was come unto Israel. They didn't know that God had given him his own star to announce his birth and, and to lead these kings, these Gentile travelers to him. But they came and they believed and they worshipped and they went away declaring him to everyone, everyone that they knew. So what did his earthly parents think? They didn't know about all of this stuff. What did they think when these things happened? 
Luke 1, verse 46 and 47, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, <laughs> and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. She realized that her own child was her Savior. She came to understand more about her own faith than, than, than was ever even possible before that time. As others came and bowed before the Christ child, her little baby boy, as they bowed before Him, she was taken aback. Luke 2.19 says, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. There was a lot of study going on in her, in her mind, in her, in her heart, if you please. There was, there was a, a lot of concentration. And, and I, I can almost picture her saying, what in the world have I just experienced? Except that she already had the, the pre-knowledge from the angel that she would be the mother of the Christ child. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. Then the scripture says that Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. They marveled when they heard what others had to say. Those who came onto the scene. Those who were the visitors, if you please. They peered into the manger. And they examined his tiny little body. The innocent features of his face and, and the color of his eyes, just like all mothers do. They looked at his tiny little hands and his tiny little feet and... I think they must have sat back and said, oh, 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 what a glorious king. What a glorious king he will make. Little did they know that one day his features would be marred beyond recognition, that his body would be beaten and torn, that his tendered eyes would look down from a cross where nails pierced his hand and pierced his feet. Folks, a real visit to the manger reveals also a cross a cross upon which Jesus was willing to go and to die to spill His blood out of love for you. Out of love for you. Every one of you. He came to introduce God to us. He lived the perfect sinless life. And He shed His blood on the cross so that you through faith, just like, just like all of these were transformed by believing, as they believed and as they came and as they saw it, the power of Christ was loosed upon them and they were transformed. And folks, a real visit to the manger has transforming powers. He can transform you today from what you were to what He wants you to be. I think the direction of the lives of every one of these visitors was changed after they visited the Christ child. The one who was born in a lowly cattle stall in a manger. Emmanuel, God with us. Our Father, as, as we pause just now, we pause with grateful hearts. God, we come to give thanks to You. Father, we don't understand the kind of love that You have shown us. We, we can't comprehend in our minds how, how You would be willing Father, to leave the glories of heaven, to come to this earth, to be born in a lowly cattle stall, 
to live your life upon the earth and to die on the cross. God, we are so grateful for the sacrifice you were willing to make. We don't understand it, but we're grateful for it. And Father, we thank you today for that kind of love. Dear Father, I pray that you'll speak to hearts today as we've gone back to the manger so far away in time and space. But Father, as we've come to realize and, and, and come to have revealed to us today through the Word of God that He is the Savior, the one and only, the Messiah, the one who can take away our sins and give us eternal life. Oh Father, I pray for any person here today who's not a believer in Christ, who's never come to the place to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus in faith and accept the gift that only God can give, the gift of life eternal in heaven with you. Father, speak to our hearts today. Father, I pray for Christians, for believers today. Those of us who have gotten caught up in, in the commercialism of the season. Father, I pray that you'll help us to step back and be reminded of what you did in this season of the year as you came to us to show us your love and your mercy and your grace. Please speak to our hearts. Give us faith to believe today and give us courage to make our stand at the manger of Jesus Christ for the glory of God the Father. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. If you have a Bible with you today, let me invite you to turn to the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, chapter 3. The book of Malachi in chapter 3. I once heard a story about a pastor of a predominantly black congregation who thought that he had hit upon the perfect message to motivate his church. He began it this way. Brothers and sisters, we have a great heritage to which all the people said amen. Those who have gone before us and prepared the way for us have done a great work. And again they said, amen. But there's still a great deal of work to be done to which they said, all right. By now the preacher was getting excited at the response. So he said, if we're going to continue the work of the kingdom in the tradition of this church, we have to move forward in faith. And they said, yes, preacher, yes. In order for this church to advance, we first must make it crawl. And the people said, let it crawl, preacher, let it crawl. And after it crawls, he said, we have to make it rise up and walk. And the people said, make it walk, preacher. Make it walk. And after it walks, we have got to make it run. Make it run, preacher. Make it run. And in order for this church to run, we all have to give our money. And the people said, let it crawl, preacher. Let it crawl. Now that's a funny little story that I heard a long time ago. It's funny until we realize that all too often it's true. Because you see, God wants the church to run. He wants the church to run at full speed. 
But all too often our problem is that we don't have enough faith to believe that the Lord has the resources to do what He wants done. Why can we not believe in the God who parted the Red Sea? Why can we not believe in the God who created everything that is to believe that He has enough resources to do whatever it is He wants to get done? I heard a preacher say one time, a long time ago, he said, you know, the Lord has all of the money in the world that He needs, except you've got it tucked away in your wallet. Now, you're going to understand what I'm talking about in just a minute. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. The word storehouse, the word tithe means tenth. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Well, today I want to spend the next few moments talking to you about the blessedness of giving. And if you look at giving as a chore, then you've got the wrong idea about it. There is a blessedness, a blessedness to giving. It's just like when you help somebody who's in need. You get excited about it. It makes you feel good because you're doing something to help people. Well, we have to stop to realize that the things that we have actually belong to God. And God says that He has more blessings to give us than we are able to receive. But, according to this Scripture, the generosity of God toward us is directly related to our generosity towards Him and towards His church and towards the work Towards the Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill work of the kingdom. Now, in order to understand this subject, the blessedness of giving, we first have to realize that he talks about the principle of administration. It is the principle of administration. I want, to, I want you to think about it this way. In Psalm 24, 1, the Bible says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Now, I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but what that says is that everything that exists belongs to God. You see, we think that things belong to us, but it's really not ours. It belongs to God. And we are administrators of those things that belong to God. He is the Creator, 
and he is the owner of everything that exists. So we're overseers. Suppose that we uh, suppose that there's a business. There's a business. Maybe it's a business that you know about. Maybe it's a business somewhere. It's just a, a fictitious business in our mind. We have a business. The owner of the business puts up all of the money to start the business and to sustain it. Now, that's that's where some businesses go wrong. They think they can just start and they're going to win. But you have to have a little bit of money to sustain the business until it becomes successful. So he, he starts the business and he puts forth the money to sustain the business, but he leaves all of the finances and he leaves all the administration to an accountant. Now, this accountant has the authority to order the supplies, to order the materials. Uh, he has the authority to pay the bills and to write payroll checks and all of those kind of things. But he is still just an overseer. He's still just an accountant. He's still just an administrator because the business belongs to the owner. In reality, the owner has the final authority concerning everything about the business, how the money is spent, and the accountant is bound by the owner's wishes. Now, folks, I want to tell you, that explains some things to us about the things that we have. You have the things that you have because God has placed them in your care. He has put you in charge of some of His stuff in reality. And He has appointed His children to be administrators or stewards or overseers over His world and the fullness thereof. And it, by the way, it's always been that way, just in case you're wondering. Genesis chapter 1, listen to verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now listen. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all of the earth. He said over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God said, we're going to make man. We're going to create this man and we're going to put him in charge. We're going to create him and He's going to be administrator over all of the things that we have created. And you hear me using the word we because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all present at creation. That's uh, what the Scripture teaches. And so they said, we're going to put Him in charge. Now, understand today, again, that you are an administrator or a steward of God's things. The second principle in the blessedness of giving involves attitude. It involves attitude. Now the Old Testament teaching about attitude primarily deals with taking or keeping something which belongs to someone else. Okay? That's what he's telling us uh, there in the book of, of Malachi. The Bible says that when we hold back our tithes and our offerings, we rob God. <laughs> Will a man rob God? Have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings, the Scripture says. That's an attitude of covetousness. We want to keep or take the stuff that doesn't belong to us 
that we've been made administrator of. Now, you take that accountant. Suppose that accountant decided, well, now, wait a minute. He's put all this money in my trust, all this money in my care. I believe I'll take some of it home. Now, most of the time when people do that, they think, well, I'm going to take it home because I need it right now and I'll use it for a little while and then I'll bring it back. I knew a church. It's been a long time ago now. I knew the pastor well. He had a church treasurer. And they discovered one day that the church treasurer had absconded with $50,000 of the church's money. When they confronted him about it, he said, well, my son needed to go to college, and I was going to pay it back. You see, that kind of thing happens. And somehow or another, we get that kind of attitude about the stuff that belongs to God. We want it to be our own. Listen, this is mine. I worked hard for this money. Well, maybe you did, but where'd you get the health to do the work? You see, it all goes back to God. Not only does everything belong to Him, but all of us belong to Him too because He made us. In the New Testament, there is a little different approach. It says that all of our giving should be done in a cheerful attitude, in an attitude of cheerfulness. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Every man... As he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I once heard a story about a family which was attending church one Sunday, and as usual, uh, they sat on the back row. That's not saying anything about people sit on the back row, but they sat on the back row because they always wanted to be the first ones out. They wanted to get out before anybody else did. As was his custom, when the offering plate was passed, the father would take out his wallet. He would dig through the money in his wallet until he found a $1 bill, and he'd have it ready when the offering plate came by. But on this particular Sunday, the usher was standing at his row with the offering plate as he pulled out his wallet, and he searched through the bills that are in his wallet, and the smallest bill he had was a $20 bill. He gritted his teeth, took out the $20 bill, and put it in the offering plate. When the service was over, as was their custom, they were the first ones out the door. When he got out the door, his wife grabbed him by the arm and said, what in the world is wrong with you putting a $20 bill, a $20 bill in the offering plate? And the man said, when I took out my wallet to get a dollar, a 20 was the smallest thing I had. The usher had already seen me with my wallet out. So what else could I do? Did you want him to think I'm a miser? <laughs> to which their little boy very wisely said, Oh, well, you probably got credit just for a dollar anyway. Folks, that speaks volumes about the importance of attitude. About the importance of attitude. Listen, every time you have an opportunity to give to the Lord's work, you ought to be cheerful about it. Every time you have an opportunity to help somebody in that way, you ought to be excited about it. It's a blessing that can never be taken away. A few years ago, Pat and I were members of a church, and the pastor 
had a very serious heart attack. In fact, they came out. Everybody was outside in out, out in the in the area in the waiting room praying, and the doctor came out and said, "I'm sorry, he's gone. He's gone. There's no more we can do. He's gone." And that group of people from that church fell on their knees once again and began to pray. And in a moment, the doctor came back out and said, I was mistaken. He's alive. He's alive. There were a lot of medical bills. He had no insurance. Pat and I were newlyweds, and we didn't have any money to speak of. And I told Pat, I said, look, we've got to do something to try to help. And so we rambled around and figured out that we could help her out with $25. We, we got the $25 and gave it to her that day at the hospital. We gave it to her. And she said, I'm going to pray that God restores this to you fourfold. Fourfold. Well, we didn't understand. We just knew that God told us to do that, and we did it. And we didn't. There was nothing. There was no expectation on that money whatsoever. But let me tell you something. Over the next week, over the next week, we received $125 that we weren't expecting. I thought, well, she made a mistake because that's fivefold. And then it dawned on me, we got our fourfold and our original back. Now listen, I want to tell you something. That doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense to give away, to give away your money and expect to be blessed by it. And yet that's exactly what happens in your life. Finally, the third principle in this message of the blessedness of giving is action. <laughs> action. Okay, now I want you to think about it. Administration. Uh, we know that everything that we have belongs to God and we're only administrators, so it's administration. Attitude. It's best to have a real good attitude about it. You know, I'm happy about it and all of those kind of things, but neither one of those things are important until there's action. Until you... Open up the wallet and pull out all your credit cards and drop them in the offering plate. You know I'm not serious. They wouldn't do us any good anyway because we can't handle that kind of business here at the church. Until you take action, administration and attitude are important, but the action of giving cannot be fulfilled in the Lord uh, to the will of the Lord until we give. In Malachi, the Lord says, bring the tithes. We told you a while ago, the word tithe means tenth and and there are a lot of people say, well, the word tithe is not used in the New Testament, but it is. It's in the book of Luke. It's used in the New Testament. But he says, bring the tithes that there may be meat in mine house. Now, he's talking about the necessary provisions for the Lord's house. Your gifts help to buy Bibles. You look in the backs of the pews, there's Bibles. There's, there's hymnals. You know, we haven't bought hymnals in a long time. It's going to be bad when we have to buy them again because they're very expensive. Did you know that? Not only do you help to buy Bibles and hymnals, but your money is used to print literature. You like your Sunday school literature to be able to read your Sunday school lesson. It helps provide food and clothing and, and uh, shelter, hospitals, college scholarships, uh, heating and cooling. You, you, you like it in here whenever you come in. It's real cold, snow on the ground outside, and it's, it's a balmy... Um, 57 degrees in here. I said that because I know some people accuse me of keeping it too cold in here. Let me tell you something. If you're too cold, come up here with me. 
It's not cold up here where I am, but that's not the reason. But we like to be able to do air conditioning in the summer, and we like to have heat in the winter. Listen, you pay your bills at home. You know that it costs a lot of money. We print bulletins and try to maintain the buildings. This past week, I put in three light bulbs that were burned out. You know, those cost money. And so he says, bring your tithes that there may be meat in my house. Bring your tithes so that all of these things can be taken care of. And then part of your money that you bring goes to different ministries and different missions. It goes into our convention to help support our missionaries that are overseas and those that are in the United States and those that are even in the state of Texas. You see, we're spreading the gospel. That's, that's the important part of our ministry is to spread the gospel to all the world, to advance the kingdom work of Almighty God. According to the Scripture, though, when we take action about our giving and we do it in faith, God sets in motion the beginning of blessings. Even the Old Testament passage describes the blessings of God as more than what we have the ability to receive. He blesses us with more than what we can handle. One of the New Testament passages in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it plainly says, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You see, it's a sowing and reaping kind of thing. You know, I put out nine okra plants. Four of them survived. Two of them did well. And it would take me about two weeks to get enough okra to eat. That's called sowing sparingly. I'll know next year how many okra plants I need, or I'll need to know where your garden is. My favorite verse in the Bible concerning giving is Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Jesus says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. How will He give it? Like this. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Several years ago, Brother Wes Barfield and I and Scott all went to Lake Proctor. I'd heard that there was a real good place to catch crappie. So we went to Lake Proctor, and we went up to the little store, the little bait stand, told the lady we needed two dozen minnows. Two dozen minnows. Well, she dipped up some, and she looked at them, and she poured them in the bucket. We took our bucket of minnows. We went to the spot we had heard about, and we sat there for a couple of hours. And in two hours, our two dozen minnows produced 40 Nice crappie. Those of you who fish for crappie with minnows know that you don't get more than one crappie off of one minnow. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. 
Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Right? You know that. They're going to, sometimes they'll knock one off and you won't hook them. We got 40 crappie off of two dozen minnows. Now let me think, two dozen, that sounds like 24. 24. 40 crappie on 24 minnows. We went back to the bait stand because we thought we might be able to catch some more and we bought two dozen more minnows. We wound up the day with a limit of cropping. Listen, that lady gave us, <laughs> listen, she gave us those minnows and what she counted out for us was what I call good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's one of those times when we were blessed and we remember even after all these years. The Lord says, prove me now herewith. How often does the Lord say that to you? He said, you want to know about it? Check me out. He said, prove me now herewith if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. While God says, prove me, the devil says, you're foolish to believe that you will have more by giving to the Lord. You know what? <clears throat> the whole way through this message today, you've been thinking, boy, I wish he wouldn't preach on that. There's some people, there's some people that said, why does he have to preach on giving? Well, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm not big on preaching on giving. Y'all know that who've been here a lot. You know that I'm not big on preaching on giving. I don't preach on giving maybe once a year. Well, this is it. But January is just around the corner, so. But the devil, he'll prod you. And you, you think he's not here? Yeah, he's here. You think about the things that you've been thinking through all of this. Well, I, you know, the devil tell you, oh, you can't afford to give. Let me tell you something. If you're a believer in God, you can't afford not to. Come on. Is it not true? You can't afford not to. Because the devil wants you to not to. So what do you do? If God says in His Word, it's not my words, this is the Word of God. If God says in His Word that you ought to give, and the devil says you'd be foolish to because you don't have enough money to pay your bills, you don't have enough money to do this, you don't have much enough money to do whatever it is you want to do. You don't have enough money. So what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You take action in faith. You believe God. You believe that God has everything, owns everything, and He can take care of you. You take action in faith and just prove God. Test Him. 
see what the Lord can do. Whenever I pastored in Big Spring, there was a man that owned a, uh, a Phoenix service station. His daughters attended our church. He didn't attend church because he was open seven days a week with his service station. And he managed it by himself. He and his wife managed it by themselves. And I went to visit him one day and invited him to church. He said, Preacher, you know I can't go to church. I have to be here to sell gas. Otherwise, I can't live. And I said, let me just, let me just offer you an option, okay? I said, let me just tell you what. Test it. Try it out. I said, God says, prove me about this matter. And I said, I want to tell you something. If you'll close on Sunday and be in church, you will discover you will make at least the same amount of money the other six days of the week that you're making staying open on Sunday. He said, no, preacher, that's crazy. I said, no, you'll find it to be true. God says so. God said it'll be true. So finally, he decided to try it. Next Sunday, he was in church, sitting right out there. And he came to me as he came out the door, and he said, Preacher, you were right. You were right. I'm closed on Sunday, and I'm still making at least the same amount of money that I was making staying open seven days a week. And I said, that's the economy of God. That's the way God works, and He's the only one who can do that. And so he came to church three weeks, and then he quit. Makes no sense to me. Why would you not be in the house of the Lord giving thanks unto the God who's given you everything that you have? He said, prove me. He said, test me. And it was true. So I have a question for you today. I have a question. Going back to the beginning, I have a question for you today. Will it crawl? Or will it run? And I hope you're thinking in your mind right now. Make it run, preacher. Make it run. God has issued a challenge to you. He said, prove me, test me. And I will bless you beyond your highest dreams. That may not be monetarily. You see, not everything is about money, is it? The blessings that you have might be longevity of life. It might be that your shoes don't wear out. It might be that your clothes don't wear out. Well, some of us buy clothes that are already worn out. Amen? It might be that your tires on your car don't wear out. It might be that you get better gas mileage. You know, I don't know how God wants to do that, but God, the God that I know, is able to do exactly what He wants to do. And all He asks me to do is to give to Him praise, glory, thanksgiving, and our gifts for His use in the work of the kingdom. Father, thank You today that You have included us in Your economic plan. Thank You, Lord, that You give us, that You give to us so that we might be stewards and overseers and administrators over what belongs to you. Help us, God, to be generous to put back into your care those things that belong to you. Oh God, I pray that you'll bless us now. Father, I realize that today 
in this service, in this place, there are people who are struggling. They're struggling because they hear the word of the Lord and they also hear the voice of the old devil who would try to keep them from doing what they understand is right and good and the will of the Lord. And so, Father, I pray for faith, first of all, and I pray for courage, second of all, and I pray for a willingness on the part of your people to take the challenge of God to prove you and test you. Because, God, I know that in it and through it, you'll be glorified. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. A podcast of this service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. To listen to this service at any time, go to the KCAA Sunday schedule and click the podcast link under the image of Pastor McNary. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903 903- 963-7473. K-C-A-A. Exploring Science in the Sea. For those of us who have a tough enough time getting around on two legs, trying to coordinate eight limbs sounds just about impossible. Yet the octopus does it all the time. It uses eight arms to crawl across the ocean floor. And some recent research says that crawling motion may not be all that complicated. The octopus decides which way it wants to go, then just pushes off. Scientists recorded the motions of crawling octopuses, then looked at the video frame by frame. And they found that there are two keys to the way an octopus crawls. First, its arms are arranged in a symmetrical pattern. Those on the left side of the body are laid out in a mirror image of those on the right. And second, the arms move the octopus by simply stretching and pushing against the nearest surface. The combination of a simple layout and simple motion makes it easy for the octopus to move in any direction. And the octopus doesn't have to turn its body to change directions. It simply switches arms. So it can be facing straight ahead, but easily move at any angle. In fact, the researchers found that octopuses prefer not to move straight ahead or straight back. That may be because of their field of view. An octopus's eyes are on the sides of its head, with each eye taking in a full 180-degree field of view. Where the view from the two eyes meets, either straight ahead or straight behind, is actually where the octopus's vision is weakest, directions where it doesn't want those eight arms to carry it. This episode of Science in the Sea was made possible by Texas Sea Grant. For the University of Texas Marine Science Institute at Port Aransas, I'm Holly Brawley.
This is 1050 AM KCAA Loma Linda and 106.5 FM Yukaipa. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. They're the most vulnerable ones in society, our children. Yet, thousands of kids are abused each year by adults, many of whom never thought they'd lose control. The major misperception is to think that it cannot happen to you. People can get very frustrated, they can feel very stressed, and when they do, they can make a mistake. Then, could your retirement end up becoming a nightmare? We'll talk to an expert on how to keep your nest egg from getting cracked. You want to first attack, what are your needs going to be in retirement? And sometimes people say, I'm never going to retire. But there is a thing called financial independence, which buys you a little bit of freedom. Those two stories, and much more, are heading your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. Stay with us. Our show begins right after this. For P150, P150GA, P150OK, P150TN, C250A, C250E, C250EC250Q. Not available in all states. What's the scariest thing about going to the dentist? Opening your mouth or opening your wallet? Because just a simple cleaning can cost $100. And things like root canals can cost you hundreds more. If you don't have dental insurance to help, call Physicians Mutual Insurance Company. 1-800-809-9775. This isn't a discount plan or preventive-only coverage. This is real dental insurance that helps pay for checkups right away. So you can call today and get your teeth cleaned tomorrow. Plus, it helps cover the more expensive procedures you might need down the road. Fillings, crowns, bridges, even costly dentures. There's no deductible and no annual maximum. Your acceptance is guaranteed for one of these insurance policies, even if you're retired. There are no networks, so you can choose any dentist you'd like. Call in the next 10 minutes and we'll rush you a free information kit with all the details. 1-800-809-9775. That's 1-800-809-9775. 1-800-809-9775. Look out in the street there. You know what you don't see? My car. Because I had to sell it to pay the lawyer I hired when I got busted for drunk driving. Know what else you don't see? My girlfriend who decided that a guy with no car and no license and no money was no fun. Cops are out there cracking down on drunk driving all across the country, and they'll see you before you see them. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Finally, there's a lightweight cat litter that doesn't act lightweight. It's Arm & Hammer Clump & Seal Lightweight. My name is Erin, and I'm a professional pet sitter. I deal with cat litter all day. Clump & Seal Lightweight is amazing on odor, it's super easy to carry, and there's absolutely no dust. No other litter seals and destroys odor and is 50% lighter than our regular litter and 100% dust-free. It changed how I feel about a lightweight litter. I would recommend it to my friends and my clients. Get 7-day odor control and no dust in Arm & Hammer Clump & Seal Lightweight. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Children are vulnerable at any age, but a recent study found that when it comes to child abuse, the first year of life is the most dangerous of all. InfoTrack's Taryn McCall is here with important information for every parent. Taryn? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Dr. John M. Leventhal, professor of pediatrics at Yale Medical School. He was the lead author of a study that looked at child abuse in America. 
I think the most eye-opening stat in your research was the age that children are most likely to be hospitalized as a result of abuse. Let's start there. First of all, what we were looking at was children who were hospitalized for serious injuries. And those children tended to be less than three years of age, and the majority were less than one year of age. When you look at child abuse around the country, including physical abuse, sexual abuse, and neglect, children are subjected to those kinds of experiences at all ages. So we were just focusing on children who were hospitalized for serious injuries, and those tended to be very young. Is child abuse becoming more or less common today? I think it's becoming less common. It is hard to sort that out, but the data from Child Protective Service agencies, those are the agencies that citizens and professionals have to report to in various states around the country, report fewer cases that are substantiated. That is, cases that the agency believes are abuse, neglect, or sexual abuse. There's been a dramatic decrease in the last 20 years related to physical abuse, with substantiations down by about 50 to 55 percent, and the same for sexual abuse. So I think things are better in this country. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. <laughs> 